supposed to speak about, and that is politics. Uh, however, in light of, um, in light of Mike's uh, teaching that I've been a privilege of having to listen to the last two, two weeks on the uh, founding fathers and their beliefs and what uh, drove them and uh, their, their, uh, their, their philosophies and so forth in, in the establishment of the colonies, uh, perhaps it's not too controversial for me to speak to you about politics this morning. However, the politics that I want to talk with you about this morning uh, are not the politics that probably the term immediately brings to your mind. Rather, it's the politics of the Christian citizen. And I want to take you to Paul's letter to the Philippians to give you an idea of uh, what I'm speaking about this morning. So turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. And I want to read for you Paul's first admonition, his first command in this letter. In the Greek language that the Apostle Paul used uh, to write this letter, uh, there are different mood tenses. And uh, one of those mood tenses is called the imperative, which is the, is the, or the, the mood, rather, of a verb. Mood tenses, that's an oxymoron. Tense is past, present, or future. Uh, there are different moods. And one of the moods is the imperative, which is the mood of command. So it's when, if I'm telling you to do something, like if I thought it was too warm in here and I was not going to request it, but I was going to command you to turn down or up, whichever way, make it cooler. That was not a uh, you know, subtle suggestion, by the way, although it would be fine with me if it were cooler. But uh, I would use the imperative mood. Well, the first verb that Paul uses in this letter that's in the imperative mood is used in verse 27. When he writes, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning, by the way, so if it differs somewhat from your translation, that's the reason why. In verse 27, Paul wrote, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. You might say, well, where's the politics there? Does anyone have another translation this morning? I'm sure you do. Anyone have the King James, for example, here this morning? Could you read it for us? Just the first sentence of verse 27. Okay, King James used the term conversation as they translated the key word that in the ESV was translated manner of life, or actually is worthy. Um, anyone else have another translation this morning with you this morning? What do you have, Stephanie? Okay, read that for us if you would. That's, that's fine. We can stop right there. Okay, do you see the word conduct there on the screen in the, in the verse that you have in front of you? That's getting closer to what this word means. The word that Paul used here, the Greek word, is actually the word from which we get our English word politics. And it refers to, in some translations translated this way, conduct as a citizen. Now, Paul used the term in his address to this church in Philippi, here we pronounce it Philippi. Uh, he, he used this word in his address to this church in Philippi, and when he used it, those Christians in Philippi would have, would have understood the significance behind the word that he used. One of the reasons why they would have understood it is because Philippi was a Roman colony. Uh, Mike has been teaching you about uh, the founding fathers, the founders of the, the 13 colonies that, that were the basis of the, of the formation of this nation. Well, Rome, uh, Philippi was a Roman colony, and as such, the citizens of Philippi were Roman citizens. 
Paul was also a Roman citizen, though he gained his citizenship by birth uh, from another Roman colony, not Philippi. But nevertheless, as Roman citizens, they understood that there were certain rights and privileges and associations that went with it. Now, Paul uses this term, I believe, deliberately in his address to the Christians in Philippi here in verse 27 in the first commandment, in the first admonition, to say to those Christians, those Roman citizens, that you have another citizenship. In fact, he makes it clear later in the same letter, if you want to flip over to chapter 3, he uses the same term again. It's the same word. The translator is translated a little differently, but it's the same exact Greek word in Romans, uh, Romans in Philippians 3, verse 20, when Paul writes, in contrast to those whose end is destruction and God is their belly and glory and their shame, he writes, verse 20, but our citizenship, that's the same exact word, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it, that is from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul wanted these Roman citizens from the city of Philippi to understand that as believers in Jesus Christ, by the way, as I share this message with you this morning, I'm sharing it from that perspective. I'm sharing this message as the message was shared or the, was delivered by Paul in this letter to individuals whom he understood to have come to a place in their life where they by faith had personally trusted in Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death as the means of their forgiveness and their receptance of eternal life. And so I share this message with you under that assumption this morning that you also have by faith trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And if that be the case, as citizens of the United States of America, for example, if you were born in this country, and I suspect probably every one of you were, you are a citizen of the United States of America, but as believers in Jesus Christ, Paul wanted the Christians at Philippi, and the Holy Spirit of God wants us, as citizens of the United States of America, to understand that we have dual citizenship. You understand what dual citizenship is, right? Dual citizenship is when by birth you are born into a, a certain land and you have citizenship with that land, but perhaps by virtue of heritage, uh, your, your parents or one of your parents was a citizen of another country, you also have citizenship in that country. Well, as believers in Jesus Christ, you also have dual citizenship. You are indeed a citizen of the United States of America. And while I could talk with you about the politics involved in that, what I really want to talk with you about this morning are the politics involved in your citizenship in heaven. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a citizen of the kingdom of Christ. And I want to explore with you this morning in Paul's first chapter of this letter to the Philippians, the ambitions of Christian citizenship. So Father, I ask as we open your word, and as we look into it, and as we explore what you have given to us by the pen of Paul, that you would meet with us and that you would empower and enable me First of all, to be clear and precise in my understanding of what you have revealed, and there, then clear and precise in my ability to communicate that to each person here this morning. Thank you, Father, for giving us the privilege of 
being together and coming together. And I ask, Father, that you, by your Spirit, would work now within each of our hearts to enable us to receive this word with meekness so that it might indeed bring about its intended purpose in us. Father, I ask that you would help us to recognize today the awesome nature of our greater citizenship in the kingdom of Christ and that our ambitions might be directed toward those things which will exalt our Lord Jesus Christ. I ask these things in his name. Amen. As we continue in verses 27 to 30, Paul describes for us the conduct worthy of the gospel. And Sue, you can go to the next slide there. The conduct worthy, <coughs> excuse me, of the gospel or the cause of Christ. Paul writes again, beginning in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy, or literally the idea of that word is worthy as a citizen. Let it be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. The conduct worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the conduct of the citizen, or the, let me put it this way, the only conduct worthy of the citizen of the kingdom of Christ is a conduct that is summarized in the in the sense that you see in the screen as standing together for the cause of Christ. Paul said in verse 27 that whether he was able to come and see them or whether he remained absent. And by the way, if you're not aware, Philippians is one of the four letters that we call the prison epistles. First of all, epistle is just a fancy word for a letter. Okay, so it's one of the four prison letters. It's called the prison epistles because it's one of the four letters that were written during Paul's house arrest in Rome, which is what you read about at the end of Acts. In fact, that's how Acts comes to an end. It comes to an end with Paul under house arrest, awaiting his appeal before Caesar, uh, which ultimately led to his, uh, his release and uh, a few more years of ministry before he was eventually re-arrested and then eventually executed for the cause of Christ. But at this point, he's under house arrest. And uh, that's some of the context behind some of what he writes about in these verses that we're looking at this morning. So Paul is not certain at this point whether or not he will be released, though as we'll see in just a moment, he seems fairly confident that he will. Though he's not certain whether or not that will happen, he says, whether or not I am able to come and see you or remain absent, meaning I'm going to be held captive here in Rome, he said, I wanted to hear one thing of you, the end of verse 27, that I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Paul wanted to see these Christian citizens. They were Roman citizens, but they were Christian citizens of Rome. 
Again, they had dual citizenship. He wanted to see their citizenship manifesting itself in the fact that they were standing together for the cause of Christ. And their stand together for the cause of Christ would be characterized by two things. You see there, first of all, by their striving together for the cause of Christ rather than their striving against one another. And I do phrase it deliberately the way you see it on the screen. Paul admonished them to strive together, that is, side by side, hand in hand, hand, arm in arm, so to speak, rather than being fighting against each other at all times. Look at what he said again in verse 27. He said that you standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul was concerned that these Christians in the city of Philippi would manifest their Christian citizenship by the fact that they were united in their ambition that Jesus Christ be preached, that Jesus Christ be proclaimed. In fact, there's plenty of evidence in this letter that there appears to have been uh, some fighting against each other that Paul wants to address and correct. In fact, in the passage we'll look at next Sunday, Lord willing, in chapter 2, as he looks at the example of Christ, he talks about uh, their, uh, the necessity of their being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but looking after the interests of others ahead of themselves. Also, later in the same chapter, he talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus as examples of individuals who, who cared not for their own interests, but rather sacrificed themselves to care for the interests of others, namely of these Christians in Philippi. And then in chapter 4, you can look at this briefly, uh, because I will not likely get to this one with you. In chapter 4, verse 2, Paul specifically addressed one of the apparent problems, and it, I think it was more than just apparent, one of the real problems in uh, the church at Philippi, and it had to do with two ladies that I often affectionately call Yodia and Suntachi, although that is not how you pronounce her name. Paul said, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Yodia and Syntyche, the two ladies in the church of Philippi, were evidently devout, faithful servants of Christ. They had labored side by side with Paul and Clement and other of the servants of Christ to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet somewhere along the line, these two ladies butted heads with each other. Now, I'm sure you cannot imagine that happening in a church of Jesus Christ. If you can't imagine that happening in a church of Jesus Christ, it can only be because you haven't been a Christian for very long. Uh, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, and if you've had any experience in any churches, you have probably discovered the phenomenon of sincere, Christ-loving, Bible-believing Christians butting heads and disagreeing. And that apparently was the case with Yodia and Syntyche. 
We don't know what the cause of their disagreement was, but that there was a disagreement is quite evident in what Paul says in this portion of the letter. Specifically, as he commands this true companion, this true yoke fellow, to literally the idea is grab the bull by the horns to help these women to take hold of the situation so that they can get their differences resolved and continue to faithfully serve Christ. So you see, as we come back to chapter 1 and verse 27, if we're going to stand together for the cause of Christ, we have to be careful that we don't allow our differences to become the focus of our attention so that we're always picking at each other and fighting each other and butting heads with each other, but rather that we focus on what needs to be focused on, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ being proclaimed and the Christ of the gospel being magnified. Standing together for the cause of Christ requires that we are striving together rather than striving against each other. It also requires that we not be intimidated by the adversaries of Christ. Paul said in verse 28, as he continued, and not frightened or intimidated in anything by your opponents. That is, their unity as the body of Christ, as the, as the citizens of the kingdom of Christ, would be manifested as they encouraged one another to stand firm in the face of opposition, to not be intimidated, not be silenced by the adversaries or the opponents of Christ. Paul went on to explain that this would be a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of, that is of their, that meaning of the destruction of the adversaries, but of your, meaning of the Christian citizens of Philippi, salvation and that from God. And he went on to explain that it had been granted to them, and by the way, the term that Paul uses in verse uh, 29 literally means graciously granted. It's the same word that he uses elsewhere to refer to what we call spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, grace gifts. God graciously grants to us the privilege to suffer for the sake of Christ. Robin kind of alluded to that in her song that she sang this morning about being on the mountaintops and down in the valleys. One of the experiences of being down in the valleys is suffering for the sake of Christ. And that's not something that, I will be honest, I usually am quick to sign up for. I like all the other things, you know, the power of his resurrection and so on and so forth, but I'm not usually eager to sign up for the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ, as Paul puts it later in chapter 3 of this letter. But Paul makes it clear that that is a gracious gift from God for his citizens to suffer for the sake of Christ. In fact, he said that um, they should not only believe in him, but also suffer his, for his sake, as they, in verse 30, engage, were engaged in the same conflict that they saw, he said, that I had, and now hear that I still have. Again, Paul writing this letter from a house arrest in the city of Rome was in fact, indeed, suffering for the sake of Christ. He could identify immediately with what these Christian citizens in the city of Philippi were experiencing and going through. And in fact, he could address them not in a theoretical sense, but he could address them in a practical sense because 
It was to put it in the vernacular. He's been there, done that. He knows what it's like. He knows exactly what it means to rejoice in the sufferings of Christ. In fact, he's going to relate that to the uh, Christians in Philippi. Actually, to be technically correct, he already did relate that to the Christians in Philippi in verses 12 through 26. So we're going to turn there in just a moment. But before we do, Sue, if you go to the next slide, I want to summarize what we see in this first admonition that uh, Paul gives to these Christian citizens. And it is this, that the only manner of living worthy of the Christian citizen is to be united with his or her brothers and sisters around the gospel and the glory of Christ. Sink, let that sink into your minds and your hearts, folks. The only manner of living, the only thing that really ought to characterize you as a Christian citizen is to be united with your brothers and sisters in Christ around the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the declaration, the manifestation of the glory of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm calling this the ambitions of the Christian citizen. And we can learn from what Paul shared in the verses that preceded the section that we're looking at this morning, or that we just looked at, we can learn from his example of the two ambitions that are necessary to uh, stand united as the body of Christ for the gospel and the glory of Christ. So go with me back to verse 12. I know I'm approaching this text in an inverted order, and I'm doing so deliberately because I wanted to introduce to you, first of all, the theme of Christian citizenship, and then I wanted to explore with you what I believe to be the concepts necessary to, to live out or flesh out that theme. So we're going to go back to verse 12 of chapter 1. After his introductory greetings and prayer, which is customary in Paul's letters, he sets out in verse 12 to bring the Christians of Philippi up to speed not only with the facts of his circumstances, which actually they probably were already somewhat familiar with, but more importantly, with his perspective of his circumstances. He puts it this way in verse 12. He says, Brothers, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. By the way, the imperial guard was probably the Roman equivalent of our secret service. It was the elite force of uh, the Roman army that was assigned the task of protecting the Roman emperor. So in other words, you're talking about the guys that were close to the Roman emperor. And these guys, Paul said, had come to know that his imprisonment was, as he put it at the end of verse 16, for the um, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself, at the end of verse 12, for the advancement of the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of that my imprisonment is for Christ, he said. Verse 14, picking up now. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, 
but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? In other words, Paul is in essence saying with that little two-word phrase, what shall I conclude or what is my response? How will I react to this fact? This fact that here I am under house arrest, suffering for the sake of Christ. And yes, there are some who are more boldly preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ out of their camaraderie with me, out of their love and affection, 